You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Libby Casey, politics and accountability anchor. Today we're talking about the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on colleges and the path forward as the nation continues to battle the Omicron surge. My guests are Sylvia Burwell, president of American University and a former secretary of health and human services under President Obama. Also with us, Robert J. Jones, chancellor of the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. A reminder to our audience, Thank you, Dr. Jones. Thanks for being here. A reminder to our audience, we'd love for you to join the conversation by tweeting your questions and comments to the handle post live. You know, it's a little bit hard to imagine we are here having this conversation in January talking about classes going online and being closed. So President Burwell, classes at AU are online until the end of this month, so just a few more days. Why did you decide to postpone in-person instruction and how has it gone? So what we decided uh, December 29th is actually that we would have everyone come back uh, if you chose to come back during our starting time, which actually we had a very early start, which was January 10th. Uh, in, in terms of that, we chose that performance arts, our labs would all be face to face, our libraries would be open, and that the one thing that we would do is that we chose for a period of time, a limited period, that those classes would be um, online, that the other classes other than labs and performing arts. And we did that. There were a number of elements that were a part of that decision, and we've made all of our decisions based on the health and safety of our community achieving our mission with excellence and making sure that we think about our contributions to the broader community. And here in Washington, DC, we had the highest transmissibility, uh, the highest um, uh, in terms of uh, cases and the our transmission rate and the number of positive cases at the time we made the decision. Also in the DC area, we have all three, Virginia, Washington, DC, and Maryland who have put in place emergency health orders during this period of time. And while our students are highly vaccinated and we do do testing, we knew that as those students come, came back, we wanted to make sure that parents and students had choices during a period where we think that many students would have it and they would have to go to isolation, that they could make the choice of being at home versus being in situations. And we know in the past semesters when these students are in hotel rooms alone, it's not a great thing uh, for their mental health. And so parents and students could make choices about how and where they wanna be during that period of time. We also knew that while we didn't know the exact peak for Omicron here in DC, what we did know that there would be is that there would be disruptions in health and disruptions in operations. Here in Washington, DC, our bus services um, have had interruptions. We've seen in terms of, we wanna make sure that the student experience is about the classroom, but it's also about dining, our health facilities, uh, and all of those kinds of services. So while we chose a short-term period uh, to make sure those classes were online, uh, we're back and we'll see everybody on Monday and think it's been important and uh, gone well. And I think we are through the worst part of Omicron, certainly here in DC. And you brought up mental health already, and I want to talk to you more about that later because I know it's something that you were talking about even before we were coping with the pandemic. But first, let me move to you, Chancellor Jones, and hear about what it's been like on your campus. Students started that spring semester online last week, but this week you resumed in-person classes. So why did you choose to resume in-person on this timeline, and what safety protocols are in place? Well, we decided on this timeline because uh, for the past uh, 20 months or so, all of our decisions, all of the protocols that we've put in place 
have been pretty much framed around data. You know, we tried to put in, in place data-driven decisions. And as a part of that, what we decided to do was to, uh, we made some shifts from what we originally planned to do in the fall, uh, the spring semester, based on the rise in Omicron, we decided that uh, we would bring everybody uh, back to campus, uh, but have them to uh, uh, take classes remotely for the first four days of instruction, which was the last Tuesday after MLK Day through last Friday. And we did that because we wanted to, our data and our experience over the last 20 months has really informed us that we needed to be able to bring everybody back and have them to deliver at least one negative COVID test before classes began this past Monday. And so uh, unlike a lot of places, we decided that the four days was enough for us to get everybody tested. And because of the CDC changes in the quarantine and isolation protocol, it provided an opportunity for folks that tested positive to possibly isolate or quarantine and still be ready to start face-to-face -face instruction. And uh, we're very, very pleased and surprisingly so with the way things have been going so far. We have a seven-day average positivity rate that's um, around, uh, around three to four percent. And uh, I can tell you, based on the numbers we were seeing from the modeling, we had anticipated that we would have 700 to 1,000 cases per day based on the infection rate and, the, uh, and how fast uh, Omicron was spreading. But we've been seeing, you know, less than 100 to 150, 200 cases on a daily basis, which is manageable with our, our system because, as you well know, or hopefully you know that we have uh, invented our own COVID-19 testing protocol and ecosystem, which is one of the most effective ones we think in the world that is being deployed all the way from Maine to California. And President Burwell, I think it's probably around your campus somewhere, if I remember correctly, you were one of our early partners in using the saliva-based COVID-19 test. And so we've done over 2.5 million tests here on this campus. And you think about the tests we've done with partners like uh, American University, University of Maine, Wisconsin, uh, all the way to California. We've done over 7 million tests, including uh, a lot of tests here in the state of Illinois with K-12 systems and et cetera. So we think we're doing well. The cases are the positivity rates are not near what we expected them to be. And we have implemented other protocols regarding uh, NK, uh, KN95 masks, N95 masks, level three surgical masks. And uh, uh, for those that are not uh, uh, vaccinated, we have to, they have to test every other day. And we recently imposed mandatory uh, boosters as well, but it'll take a little bit of time to, uh, to get there. But we feel very strongly that, once again, we believe that the University of Illinois is one of the safest places to be in the state of Illinois, if not one of the safest places in the nation because of the multiple protocols, data-driven, that we put in place to keep our students and our faculty and the entire community safe. And tell us more about this, uh, the saliva-based test that you referenced. This is the Shield 
T3. Uh, how does it work and uh, why was it developed? Well, it was developed for, uh, actually, as I alluded to, our own uh, selfish purposes initially, because we felt very strongly that our students were telling us they wanted to be back on campus, their parents was telling us they wanted to be back. We knew that the testing protocols that were in place at the time, uh, the nasal pharyngeal test, I took it once and I didn't think I'd be willing to do that again. So if I wasn't willing to do it, I was sure that our faculty and staff and students would probably have some trouble testing on a frequent basis. And our epidemiologist was telling us back uh, during the early part of the summer of, of, of 2021 is that we uh, needed to test uh, 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 on a regular basis. I'm sorry, 2020. And so we developed this test to be able to bring our students back safely. What's unique about it, it doesn't require the reagents uh, to isolate the virus. You basically drool into a test tube and that test tube then uh, the virus is killed by heat and uh, then it goes directly onto the RT-PCR machine to give you the COVID-19 analysis. This is a test that was put in place uh, at the call of my provost to and my vice president for research to some of our best scientists who came together with over 100 people across multiple labs to create this test in 60 days. And I can tell you it was a game changer for us is very, very effective uh, in terms of its accuracy. It's cost effective. It runs anywhere between $20 to $13 a sample, depending upon the number of, of cohorts being tested. And it is one of the most efficient COVID-19 tests, we think, in the world. And it definitely allowed us to stay safe during last academic year. And thus far, is still part of our ecosystem as we move into the spring semester. President Burwell, tell us about how American University is approaching regular testing for students and faculty. Well, we're partners uh, with Chancellor Jones. We're proud partners uh, of that system. And we actually joined with um, Trinity, uh, I'm sorry, Catholic and Gallaudet here. We um, purchased a lab uh, to do that testing so that we could do it. The Baltimore public schools are using the lab and the lab capacity here on our campus. We do that testing. I just did the test that the chancellor described um, day before yesterday. We continue to test on our campus. Uh, we also have similar protocols in terms of the testing the importance of masking. We very early on put in place a vaccine mandate and very early on put in place a booster, max, uh, a booster mandate as well. When um, the mask mandate was lifted here in DC, we continued to keep that on and we have that on now. And because of that, like the chancellor mentioned, our objective is to make sure we can do as much as possible safely. And so we had face-to-face -face commencement in December uh, in the week before the Christmas holiday we actually had a face-to-face -face commencement. We had two commencements. We spread things out a little bit uh, and had over 5,000 families that were able to come and enjoy because you have the protocols in place. Uh, at that commencement, we did not let anyone have any food or drink. Uh, and any of the speakers that were to be unmasked um, did antigen tests in addition to the PCRs that they'd previously done. So putting in place these steps and these protocols to create the safe environment that uh, the chancellor is mentioning. And at the core and key part of that obviously is vaccination uh, and the boosters that need to follow. 
So, President Burwell, um, in your announcement last month explaining to students and faculty about how this month would look, um, you talked about ordering KN95 masks and making them available on campus. Uh, are you requiring that level of mask protection? Are students allowed to wear cloth masks still? And, you know, how do you go about making sure that everyone has all the masks they need? So what we've done is we did order them and we ordered them early uh, when we started getting the indications to the chancellor's point about data and analytics, that importance of that tight fit, uh, especially with Omicron, uh, in terms of that important of the tight fit that we see with N95s and KN95s, as well as the material. So we are doing that. And one of the things that during this three-week period, we put in place the, the appropriate staffing so that there are centers where students, faculty, or staff can show your ID uh, and pick up one of those masks. Uh, so those are some of the types of things that we were putting in place during this period of time uh, as we prepare for folks coming back. Is that medical grade mask or CAN95 mask required? Uh, yes, we are asking everyone to do that. And I think one of the things that when one um, talks about requirements and how making sure that your community comes together as a community of care to take the steps that they need to take. So the students are, you know, right now in our classrooms, as we'll start in these first weeks, we know that uh, we still have very high case counts here in D.C. and we'll be asking the students to keep their masks on and no food or drink uh, in the classroom. If you need to do that, we want to accommodate, but please step out to do that. And so putting in place all of these things and knowing uh, that things will change uh, as the semester evolves in terms of we're optimistic things will get better and we're going to continue to change as things evolve. I think it's important and it wasn't communicated early on uh, and this is more in my HHS background part the importance that things are going to change and as information changes as we have different variants as the pandemic evolves what we all need to do is be aware and looking at those analytics and data and listening to our communities and their needs. Uh, bring those two things together and we are uh, excited about having this spring semester be a great one. So Chancellor Jones, a group of uh, students at your university started this COVID-19 safety petition in response to cases on campus, and they're asking for a distribution of these high quality masks and, you know, ramping up testing regardless of vaccination status, also creating a strong notification system for exposures. Um, so what has been the response to that at the administrative level? Well, we uh, made a decision uh, very early to provide KN95s and N95s or level three masks. We've already purchased them, made them available to students when they came back to campus and uh, and then made them available in bookstores and other places so that they can purchase them on their own. And so we have worked very, very hard to uh, to address and the help of uh, you know, all members of our university feel safe. I, I've seen the, uh, the particular uh, petition that you referenced, and I'd just like to emphasize that we were the only university that I know of that was doing testing uh, twice per week during the early days of COVID-19 before there were uh, vaccines available. And the data told us we did it because the data said that was the most prudent thing to do to keep our community safe. And notwithstanding this pers perspective from our students about now testing even vaccinated people, uh, we did that at the entry point a few days ago. 
But the data also tells us the data from uh, public health departments really does suggest that there's no additional value from testing on a regular basis people that are vaccinated. We have very high level of vaccination compliance, 95% of our students and 91% of our faculty. Uh, we expect to have a very high level of, uh, of uh, response to our booster mandate. And these are all the things that the data said is necessary. You can't stop the uh, spread of the Omicron variant. You're going to have breakthrough cases. We already know that, and that's a lot of what we're seeing now. But the fact of the matter is the data clearly shows that you're better off to be vaccinated according to the current definition and also to be boosted. And so there are a lot of opinions about things that we could be doing, but we're very, very big on investing in those strategies that we know will work to keep our communities safe. And we'll continue to do that. We will test every, if you're not vaccinated, you have to test every other day. And if there's a breakout in one of our dormitories or certified housing facilities, then they have to test every other day whether they are vaccinated or not. But I guess the major point to your question is the data clearly shows there's no added value for testing on a regular basis. Uh, you know, people that are vaccinated and uh, besides, even though our testing is absolutely amazing, uh, we have a community here of 41,000 students that are on campus, another 11,000 staff, and it becomes uh, virtually impossible to do that regular testing of the entire population in any way that's going to be beneficial. And so that's why we're sticking with the protocols that we have in place now. A question for both of you, but I'll start with you first, Dr. Jones, because this was specifically laid out in this petition, the question of flexibility and how you accommodate workers and people who may have concerns because they're immunocompromised or may live with someone who's unable to get the vaccine or is immunocompromised. How are you responding, Dr. Jones, to people who want to be able to work remotely or have some sort of a hybrid model? Well, our provost, uh, Dr. Andreas Cangelaris, has been really the leader of this effort, and we have been one of the most accommodating places uh, from the early days of the pandemic when there were no vaccines available. We kept people employed. Uh, we kept whether they were graduate or undergraduate students, and we did everything to uh, keep the community whole. And uh, we also created a structure we, where if you have underlying health conditions or concerns, you can work with your college or your academic unit to get an exemption to work remotely if that's what you want to do. So a lot of what they're asking for in this regard, we have been doing uh, essentially for the last 20 months or so, and we will continue to do so. And let's go to you, President Burwell, for how you're addressing the concerns of people who may want to stay virtual. So, you know, I think one of the things that parts of the community are split, but what we are trying to do is make sure that we do this based on uh, people's safety uh, and, and whether that's the testing or the accommodations. The other thing that I think is embedded in this is how we think about work uh, and the future of work and the questions of hybrid work 
And we went ahead and when we uh, started the semester back in August, we had done analyses across all of our departments and we actually were running the university uh, and are running the university in a hybrid fashion in terms of making sure we think through what is it that you need to be present to do uh, in terms of uh, the work and that sort of thing. So we have taken the changes from COVID and incorporated them into how our workforce is working right now. And uh, different roles and different positions have different numbers of days that are face-to-face. -face. And so we've been working on that from a, a broader perspective as well as from a COVID perspective. And like um, the Chancellor said, with those who have specific issues, um, we continue to work through and, and work on those. Um, it is one of the reasons in terms of this three-week period was quite important to our workforce as well as the students and making sure they had a consistent beginning instead of all the students that might be missing and not be able to be face-to-face. -face, that was important. But it was also important that our community during this period of time when there were very high cases in Washington, D.C., and whether that was our faculty and staff's children uh, in terms of what they needed to do and be for them or themselves. And so that was a big part of the three week decision because now we are through the worst part of that. Hmm. I want to remind our audience that you are welcome to submit questions for my two guests to send them to at post live. Here's one that's come in from Margaret Thomas. Uh, she says she already has one student and her family on campus, another heading to college in a couple of years, and she'd like to know how the landscape is changing when it comes to entering year three of the pandemic, both in terms of how courses are offered and how campus life supports the student mental health uh, component and also just connecting. So uh, President Burwell, I'll start with you on that. So I, I think the mental health issues, uh, a couple, three points I'd make about the mental health issues, because I think this is extremely important for us um, on universities, but more broadly the nation. The first point is that before COVID, there were already challenges and we were seeing that on campuses. We are the point of the arrow in terms of a very important developmental time uh, for our young people in our nation. And we were seeing increased demand for services, increased um, anxiety, stress, and uh, the whole suite of issues uh, around mental health and wellness. And so knowing that we were already on an upward trajectory, and then you add in COVID, and COVID really exacerbated challenges in terms of our young people and being able to socialize. Uh, and so they've been isolated. So as they're at this developmental stage and this stage of change, um, that exacerbated any challenges that were there, and we know that. And then the third thing I would just say is campuses, I think many of us are focused. We're very focused here at American University and before COVID, we think about it in terms of prevention, detection, and response. And what we've tried to do in terms of knowing that COVID has increased some of the challenges is also find the places where COVID could help us. In other words, the use of telehealth uh, in these spaces is something that expanded greatly and we're continuing to use. And by that, I mean, our counselors are here face-to-face -face on campus, but if the student would rather do that appointment uh, in a telehealth way, we can do that and we accommodate that. We also have other tools that we've put in place in terms of prevention that use technology. So you as a student, whether it's your mental health or am I doing the right things for my job when I get out of college? There's a, seri there are a series of questions that you can answer and then where you are in your trajectory, it guides you to different resources in the university in terms of prevention. We've also put in place uh, more tools in terms of detection, which actually sometimes is quite hard 
in terms of making sure we're watching and learning when students are having challenges. And we're doing uh, special training for our staff and our faculty in recognizing even some of the most acute situations that students might face. So I think it's a problem that existed before COVID exacerbated it. There are some special tools and important tools that are technologically using the technology will help us advance and move forward more quickly, but it's a place where we all need to pay a tremendous amount of attention. And I'll say yeah, it's just not to just- follow up on that, President Burrell, just to follow up on that, I mean, there is uh, sort of the, the system of checks that happens in a university community when your professor sees you face-to-face, -face, if you're slow to pick up your bag, if you're just lingering, if you seem quiet or withdrawn in class. Also, you know, club activities, going to events, when those things are lost, do, do you see a need to sort of make up for that and double down to make sure that students are being checked in on if they're stuck in their dorms a lot alone? Well, I think now we're in a stage in a place where that's happening. That is not happening. I mean, we had all of our activities up and running in one form or another in the fall, and that's what we're doing now. It's, you know, the library was open, the gathering spaces are open. Um, yes, during that period when we were online, it was important. And one interesting thing that we saw is that our students actually used their professor's office hours more mm. uh, during the time of online. And I think sometimes that's about ease and access. That's another place where we've had learnings and making sure that that is available. Yes, it is important to do that checking. And one of the things at American University, certainly for our first year students, um, we have a very high ratio of first year advisors. Um, and that is a part of that in terms of having places that people are checking in. And that was something during that online period that we really did and we continue to do, um, understanding that our sophomore class, our, our junior class didn't finish its year face-to-face. -face. Your sophomore class um, had online, you know, did much of their, that year online. We had a mid-semester experience uh, in that year. And then your freshman class had their senior year in high school in a difference. So we actually have been quite conscious about the fact that we don't just have one freshman class and that we have unique needs. And whether that's how we do orientations or the kinds of observing and engaging with students at different levels is something that we've had to increase. I have another audience question I want to get to, but first, Chancellor Jones, I want to give you a chance to weigh in on this question of just how we help young people with their mental health as they deal with this as college students. Well, let me address that, but also to address the first part of your question about what would students expect when they come to our campus. When you come to University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, you're going to find a hybrid education environment. We made a decision uh, last academic, uh, beginning of this academic year that any class with more than 200 students would be online. The rest of our classes are face-to-face. -face. So we really are kind of a hybrid environment, which is much different. What you also will find is that the, the testing that I talked about before, but if for us, the testing is linked to a digital pass or digital ecosystem, where in order to get into those classrooms that are face-to-face, you actually, uh, based on your vaccination status or your COVID-19 test status, will give you access granted or access denied. And we have these ambassador, wellness ambassadors who monitor the status of students before they enter our classroom. So that's why I have a lot of confidence in saying that we have one of the safest places in the world. We've had no documented spread from the classroom to the community or into the in the classroom environment itself and no major illnesses and no one dying from COVID-19 in our in our environment. 
It's important to mention that in the context of mental health, because we still have a situation where most of our courses are face to face. And what we've done, uh, and as my colleague said, mental health issues have been growing exponentially for quite a while. And so this is not new. It's been further exacerbated by, uh, by the coronavirus. And so what we've done is stepped up our game and trying to provide more access to counselors. But I think all of us would agree you can't hire enough counselors in this environment to stay on top of the demand. So we've added additional staff where we could, but we've also put in place some of the tele, telehealth uh, strategies. We have uh, several different working groups that have designed protocol, protocols to train our faculty and staff to recognize the signs in students that are having uh, uh, mental health distress issues and to uh, how to approach those students and how to get them directed to the places where they need to be. And so providing this wraparound support uh, in this new educational environment, that's extremely stressful. But we also hear from, from students, it's much more stressful to be 100% remote. And that's why, you know, one of the things I constantly ask, well, are you going to revert back? We have no intention of doing that unless the data tells us we have to. Because this is a hybrid environment. It's a new environment for us all. And we're trying to address the health and safety of everyone, including the community. And I can tell you the mental health piece is absolutely critical. We see it play out on a daily basis uh, on our campus, and we're trying to put all the resources in place to help mitigate that. And I think that's something that we're going to have to continue to innovate around. And students are creating apps and all kinds of digital tools to assist us in that regard. And so it's one of the major things that we have to focus our attention on. Let me squeeze in this last question from a viewer on Twitter who points out that at their child's community college, they were told they needed to test before attending in person, but no one ever actually looked at the negative test results. So, uh, Chancellor Jones, you sort of hinted to us about how you know, you're trying to use technology to, to check and verify people's test results. Briefly touch on that and we'll go to President Burwell for if people are actually looking at the test results. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the test results here are downloaded as a part of our McKinley Health System. If you end up getting a negative test, you are notified about what you need to do in terms of isolating or quarantining. And as I said, we have this digital icon that has a picture of the student and a kind of a moving different color light and ring around it. And, and the safety ambassadors who check the, your status before you can enter classroom. We require, so yes, uh, the testing is very much a part of what we do here. It is why we were able to be one of the few universities that completed last academic year uh, in our uh, hybrid face-to-face -face model. And it is definitely part of how we keep the community safe. And that test tells us uh, targeted testing is what we are using now rather than the mandatory testing. And if we get more than uh, get a large number or a couple of three positive uh, cases, then we test everybody in that dorm, for example, regardless of your COVID status. And that has worked well last semester, and we are continuing to use that this semester as well.
So, I mean, testing without some using the information is basically just a waste of time and effort and resources. It has to be linked in to your digital healthcare system, and then it has to be uh, linked into how you notify students and give them the information they need to isolate or quarantine. President Burwell. We do risk-based testing here. That's how we do it in terms of our athletes. We know are in close contact. We're testing our athletes regularly. We do contact tracing here. Those are the people that are tested. And like the chancellor said, when we have cases on a floor, you go ahead and you test the floor. And that's a way that you can follow up, that you know uh, in terms of understanding the outcomes of those tests and what it means. Because what the chancellor said, I completely agree with. These tests should be about decision-making and choices and knowing what steps you need to take uh, to further protect the community and to take care of uh, the community member. So by doing targeted testing that is risk-based, that I think is how you get to the place where you really use these tests. And that gets to you know doing what you know in terms of the evidence. And when you're testing, you're testing for a reason and you're gonna use it for that reason. Well, thank you so much to both of you for joining us. Chancellor Robert Jones, President Sylvia Burwell, really appreciate your time. Thanks so thank much you. for having Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.